Welcome back to the Runner Life podcast, the podcast that explores the overlap between running, coaching, and personal growth. We hope that you've really enjoyed the first two episodes and that you've taken something away from both of them. We would love to hear from you if you have. Do follow us on Instagram at run underscore alive or on LinkedIn, the Run Alive podcast, where you can also connect personally with both of us. We're both on Strava too, seeing as it is a running podcast, although one of us is doing a little bit more running than the other at the moment. Well, yeah, but um, speaking of that, let's keep the focus on the one who's running. And we're doing this the day after London, London Marathon Ed, which you ran again. How did it go? Uh, yes, it went very well. I ran 2.45, which was a PB by three minutes. Um, it was it was an incredible event. Um, so many people running it, even more supporting it. The noise levels, I think, were louder than ever before <laughs> this is my fifth london so yeah and obviously of course it was tough in places but delighted to um at the start of the year i set out wanting to run 245 i may have got a little bit greedy between now and then um then and now um but rode it back having picked up a little bit of a niggle with three weeks to go and so i'm delighted to have still pulled it to pulled it in at 245 yeah that's really pleased. Uh, absolutely amazing i'm I've no doubt so many people are listening to this thinking 245. Wow, that is incredible. Huge respect. And I know you had that niggle going in. So mission accomplished. And hey, I'm curious about something as well, which is when we accomplish a really big mission like that in life, it think things are a little bit different. You've hit your big goal. Doing those things, the process changes you a bit, but also having the achievement changes you a bit. So early days, right? But ha, ha, now you've bagged that, how do you think that's going to change your, um, how you think about the marathon going forward, how you think about running going forward, all that sort of stuff? Well, I'm, I'm going to retire, obviously. <laughs> that's it. I'm done. Re- reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, but in all seriousness, of course, I'm not going to retire. But I, I think I, I feel a great sense of satisfaction, actually, having set out to run it and run it. Um, and I know that won't be everyone's experience, so I'm sorry for gloating a little bit. Um, but um, I think it will will change it because I'm I'm totally happy if I never run one again that 2:45 is a spectacular time. I don't feel like I left anything out there. Whereas I had sort of previously, I'd set out when I ran 2:48, I'd set out to run 2:45 and I didn't quite make it. So I don't have any of that that from from yesterday, which is really exciting um, and really satisfying, as I said. But I think it also means that maybe I can be a bit freer and there's a bit less pressure when inevitably I do come to run another one because, you know, I don't need to prove myself and maybe I, that means I can really go for it or just, yeah, enjoy it or whatever. So, yeah. Awesome. I'm proud of you. And I can tell you're rightly proud of yourself, but mostly satisfied on a job well done. Well done, mate. <laughs> Thank you. It was an amazing day. Let's get on with the show. There are some athletes that just have that pure talent and sort of have success fairly quickly at a professional level. And then there's probably the rest of us that just have to work damn hard to get there. <laughs> this week on the Run Alive podcast, we're looking at the importance of careful consideration of who's in your team. Whatever environment that's in, whether it's at home, at work, or in the case of our guest this week, 
in elite sport? You know, yes, ultimately you are the designated leader, but, you know, it's, it's using, you know, not, not being ashamed to say, yeah, I don't, I don't know this. This is new to me. Give me, you know, give me your experience. Give me your opinion. What do you think? And taking that information and then ultimately you're the one that makes the decision and you've got to have then the confidence to make that decision and to go with that decision. This was a really interesting conversation because our guest today had such wide and varied experiences in life from being second lieutenant in the army aged just 18 leading career soldiers to a stint in the corporate world. She's learned from all of those experiences and is now applying them to what she does in elite sport. She's also immensely passionate about women in sport. And I don't know whether that's by chance, by luck, but I actually, I'm very passionate about women in sport. So I think it's, I actually really love the fact that a lot of my coaching team or my support team is a women. Everyone has a team around them, whether you realise it or not. And it's important to have the people who share your values, but also people there that can challenge you in the right and positive way. Getting people with the right energy as well around you is super important. And and that's not to say, it's not that they are um, they're your cheerleaders and they're blowing smoke up your ass at every, every opportunity. Like you've got to have a balance. You've got to have people that will tell you the the honest truth and be frank with you and have those open communication pathways. But also you've got people that do give you the right energy so that you are thriving and, and, and buzzing off that. Welcome to the Run Alive podcast, Laura Siddle. Well, yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm Laura Siddle, or Sid, as most people call me in, in the sport or in, in life at the moment. Um, I'm a professional triathlete, but compete over the, the longer distance, so the iron distance effectively, so nine, ten hours of racing effectively. Um, but yeah, came from a came from a corporate career, um, gap year in the army, seven years as an engineer, working for very different companies various different companies before uh yeah leaving the corporate world and becoming a professional triathlete and that was uh gosh back in 2014 now um it still feels only like a couple of years ago but it was uh I think it's a little bit longer than that now (laughs) and Laura tell us what makes you come alive oh gosh um I I think just Oh, a lot of things. Coffee is a good one. Uh, probably an artificial uh, <laughs> um, buzz. But um, I am just, I've always loved sport and just been, it's been a huge part of my life growing up. Um, and I just love the buzz you get. You know, I, you know, I was saying off air just before, you know, I was watching the London Marathon and you just get such you know you're watching people's stories and not just the elites everybody coming through and the emotions and things and the the impact sport can have is so so incredible and um I was watching uh there was an Ironman race in in Texas over the weekend and I had some friends racing but just again the stories from the elite to the the first timer and, and people going through it's just it's just incredible and I think you know it it's all sport 
that's what makes me makes me come alive. Oh, it's fantastic. And you um, you mentioned you compete over the the Iron Distance, the Ironman Distance. Um, that must be quite a buzz. Yeah. Just just for those who don't know, I think a lot of people do. Just remind us what that involves for a day out. Yeah, so um, Ironman, I guess, is a is a brand of triathlon. It's a, a corporation, but um, they run a series of races um, with the dist, which is what most people most people know. Um, should probably officially call it an iron distance race uh, to uh, make sure that the other the other brands and stuff uh, don't feel too left out. But most people do associate Ironman as the longer distance. So a triathlon, it's a swim, bike, run. Um, and we swim uh, 2.4 miles or 3.8 kilometers. Uh, the bike is then 112 miles or 100, 180 kilometers. And the run is a marathon. So 26, uh, you can tell, but 26.2 miles, is that right? Or, uh, exactly or 42.2 right. yes. kilometers. So, yeah. That is quite the day out. Goodness me. And um, we've got to know you a little bit. And one thing that comes through is your natural humility. But um, you're getting quite good at this iron distance stuff, aren't you? So just get, lay aside uh, <laughs> your, your natural lightness of your success. Just tell us what, what, what it's been like over the last couple of years. Give us some results um yeah well thank you um last year I guess I had uh one of probably my best years I've had um with with COVID the so every year we have a world championships or an Ironman world championships in it it's in October it's in Kona in Hawaii um last year we had two world championships because one of them was postponed from 2020 and 2021 um, so we had uh, the Ironman World Championships in May in St. George in Utah and then um, in Kona for 2022, effectively, in October. Um, and I managed to come in the top 10 in both of them. So 7th seventh, seventh in St. George um, and then 10th, just scraped the 10th in, in Kona. Um, so, yeah, that's probably yeah, where I was up to, up to last year. Wow, that's wonderful. Yeah. There's there's like a London buses, you wait for one top ten at an iron distance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, goodness me. Yeah, it, it's funny, I never would have um I've always had a bit of a love-hate relationship with Kona. It's the course technically probably suits me, but just the conditions and obviously with it being a world championships and and I've always through my racing career, normally raced a lot over the year. And so by the time I've never put my eggs in the Kona basket, because it's just such a, a risk. So by the time I get to Kona, it's probably like my fifth full distance race I'm doing. Um, and then I changed coach a couple of years ago. And um, then obviously with the world championships being in St. George, that was a course that was a lot more suited to me. So we decided to give that a real focus, which was in, in May last year, um, which obviously, I mean, definitely not smooth sailing as with anything, but um, and injuries and, and navigating that. But um, yeah, came away with the seventh. And then, you know, my coach just said something about, you know, how cool would it be to get two top tens at two world championships in the same year and then sort of like walked away and you know like Mike dropped it sort of thing and I was like huh you know kind of I never would have put that how to deal with a confession well, he, yeah. he knew exactly what he was doing yeah. yeah I never would have kind of like thought about that for Kona so um 
but yeah, we then sort of then that became became the goal. And again, ups and downs. I mean, six, eight weeks out from from Kona, I well known eight weeks out from Kona, I didn't even think we, we didn't even think I'd be on the start line because I was going through some some health issues and stuff that weren't explained and being on the start line, let alone finishing, was looking in doubt. And then thankfully came out of that and yeah, again, my coach, Julie Dibbons, is awesome and just has the best experience about getting someone in the best shape they can do for the race. So, yeah. You came to triathlon and iron distance later in life as well. So, yeah. And you're still getting better yeah. at it. Um, <laughs> I imagine that must have been a really big decision to take. Take us back there from, you know, moving out of corporate life to uh, becoming a professional triathlete. Right? What, was that a leap? How did, how, how did that come about? Yeah, a, hu- a huge leap um, because probably if I'd done a full, I, I kind of did a bit of a back of the envelope analysis on what what I'd need financially and then put my head in the sand and ignored it and thought if I, if I look at that in too much detail, I, I'm not going to make the jump and still be sitting in the corporate office. Yeah, um, you know, as I said, sport's always been a huge passion of mine, like from growing up as a kid, um, but, it, but it was always the hobby. Um, and you always did sport in, um, you know, you, you went through school, university, you got your degree uh, and you got your corporate job. And yeah, sport looked great on that resume and that CV to the employer to make yourself look like you've got extra skills and you're a rounded person and all of that. But I think the age I was in the UK, it it wasn't seen as a career. It was seen as the hobby. Um, and so... Yeah, went into the corporate world and was just, you know, doing athletics and netball growing up and then had the opportunity through my job to um, do a two year assignment in Australia. And at that point, I had I'd started doing triathlon as a complete beginner. Um, But at this point, I was 29 years old. Um, And again, it was still the hobby. I did it. I did triathlon as a as an age grouper, as a beginner, working up through sort of the amateur ranks. Mm. You know, I found something I loved. It was there was a great community in in Sydney. Um, So and it became my my friends and my social circle, as well as sort of the training group. Um, I was lucky to kind of win four world titles as an age grouper over the short shorter distance. And it was, I think, because I was in Australia, that people sort of started saying, you should turn professional. And I was like, you know, what is this and how do I do that? And also at the at the age I was at, because now, you know, I'm approaching 33, 34, most professional athletes have already retired from their sport. But I think I then just got to a point of... Um, I had a fantastic boss at the time who was super supportive of me having this hobby that was becoming quite serious and I think I just thought that I'd always I'd always done sport and I'd always got I'd always got to a reasonable level but I'd never given it full focus to see what I could do next partly again like I said it just wasn't necessarily the accepted path um and I got to that point, I wasn't particularly enjoying my corporate job at the time. And I just thought, you know, you've kind of got close in athletics and netball, but you've not fully ever committed. And now you've got this opportunity presenting itself. If you don't do it now, like you're never going to do it because age and not getting younger. And I just didn't, I didn't want to look back 10, 20 years time and think, what if? 
went back to Australia, resigned from my job, literally sort of that next next week was would get home from the corporate world, take my suit off, put it in a pile, <laughs> donated that all to sort of a, you know, a, a dress for success charity. And four weeks later, I think it was with a, a bike and a suitcase, moved to moved to the US. Wow. That, I mean, that must have been, I mean, for me, that would be terrifying in some in some ways, but also exhilarating. Did you find that it paid off quite quickly or were you doubting yourself or? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, massive doubting yourself um, for sure. Like, um, you know, especially sort of um, I was living in San Francisco, which is a fantastic city, but not good when you are not have it. You don't suddenly have a salary to live on. It is not a cheap place to live as a as a new pro. And you've gone from like the security of having a corporate salary at the end of the month to suddenly like nothing and not knowing how you're earning or where you're next earning. And then the pressure to then suddenly get results to start earning, to get your name familiar with sponsors to perhaps build up some partnerships. Um, and also, I mean, I, I'm particularly a warrior or a doubter anyway. So there's always that as well. Like you were the first few years, you're looking for that confirmation of, was it the right decision? Did I do the right? And and also like, you know, what do people think? Like, I mean, I think, yeah, there are some athletes that just have that pure talent and sort of have um, success fairly quickly at a professional level. And then um, there's probably the rest of us that just have to work damn hard to get there. <laughs> mm talking about working damn hard for it you you're quite used to putting yourself in this these kind of uh formative situations if, if you if you like um we were talking before you were telling us a little bit about your army career um uh, that was in your your gap year yeah. um that so before you went into the corporates um so what what was the shape of that like how did that come about what was all that about and what what do you draw on from that that you're still using today? Gosh, I think that year, even though like I've had success, I've had some good years in triathlon, um, that year was probably still one of the best years of my life. Um, it was called a gap year commission and it was between school and university and you had to have a place at university guaranteed. Um, mm. We did a condensed four weeks training at the Royal Military Military Academy in Sandhurst. And, you know, normally that officer training is, I think, 48 weeks, not four weeks. Um, And then you're sort of, I guess, sent out into the real world as a second lieutenant. Um, I think, and, and, you know, and then you can spend anything. And you're you're commanding soldiers. Yeah, so, you know, effectively I was, I can't remember, 18, 19-year-old, female um and I was in the Royal Electrical Mechanical Engineers but we were assigned to a Royal Artillery Regiment and I was effectively platoon commander of the workshop HQ as it was called so yeah 18 19 year old female in charge of 30 40 uh, soldiers non-commissioned officers um predominantly male being in engineering um but also you know guys that have been in the military for 30 40 years kind of thing with far more experience than me um and so that was a fantastic experience of learning opportunity development and then obviously just 
you know, if I, the army is just a, a brilliant place for, you know, lots of sport, lots of adventurous training and the, the skills you also learn, learn through that in terms of the leadership, but the teamwork and um, just being with a fantastic group of group of people. Yeah. So, so talking about leadership, that's, that's really interesting because you're an 18 year old uh, female going into this predominantly male environment um, that's very process driven, but full of people who have been doing it for years. So what did you learn from leadership? And, you know, you've, you'd had four weeks training, so there was no way that you could know as much as, as they did. So how did you balance all that? And how did you get, what was your approach? Yeah, I think it's very much giving those soldiers, the men and women, I would say the respect uh, that they you know, not not going in there and claiming you know everything as um, as on paper the higher ranking officer. Um, you know, yes, ultimately you are the designated leader, but you know it's it's using you know not not being ashamed to say, yeah, I don't I don't know this. This is new to me. Give me you know, give me your experience. Give me your opinion. What do you think? and taking that information and then ultimately you're the one that makes a decision and you've got to have then the confidence to make that decision and to go with that decision but it's using the skills the experience the knowledge uh giving those soldiers the respect um and involving them almost like by you know by asking their opinion they feel bought into to the cause to the common goal and and then it's that fine balance between having the confidence to one explain the decision and why and stuff, but hopefully that's brought in by their, their inputs and pushing forward with that. But then if, you know, if things change, go wrong, it's having the, um, again, I guess confidence in some way to say, okay, let, let, this isn't working. We need to stop. We need to reassess, you know, yep. Got it wrong or whatever it is. Let's reassess and get on this. Do you still, are you still using those skills with your team today as a pro athlete? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, effectively, uh, one, triathlon's a very selfish sport. It's an individual sport. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have also a team around me because I don't know everything about those areas, nor do I particularly want to sort of thing. I want to use the people that are expert in that area. You know, I have a, I have a coach and she writes my training plan and I value trust respect her opinion and her the plan that she sets for me um and then you know I have a strength and conditioning coach and it's her experience in that area we have I have a nutritionist um that I work with you know a sports psychologist you're collecting all this this group of people who have experience in the different areas um to import into to you and yeah and effectively again um I'm the one that ultimately could make or or does make decisions but I'm utilizing the best people that I've brought together their experience their knowledge to to get the best out of me Mm. how do you I'd be interested to know Laura about how you go about sort of figuring out what good looks like and what the line is. So at some point you've kind of got a, you're, as you said, you're the athlete going out to perform. 
the buck sort of stops with you. You've got all these experts around you. In the end, you've got to make some calls on how you integrate all this expertise, right? How how on earth do you go about doing that? And and what do you draw on from previous lives to help you kind of make this this, this these decisions? Yeah. Um, so it's it's really funny. I've actually got a. And we have got a few a few men in there, but predominantly feel co- female coaching team. Um, and I don't know whether that's by chance, by luck, but I actually I, I'm very passionate about women in sports. So I think it's I actually really love the fact that a lot of my coaching team or my support team is, is a women. Um, I think it's finding people that have similar values, have similar um ethos and obviously that you respect their ways of working you respect their methodology um I think you've got to have good open relationships you've both got to have mutual trust respect you've got to be able to communicate and also then finding people that work well together and so um but also you don't want everyone the same you do want those difference of opinions and things like that to have that those different thoughts when things maybe aren't going well and you want to kind of brainstorm things um I think the other thing that as I've also learned over the years in developing a team is your environment because I've been so nomadic I've lived in a lot of places I've lived in you know but I've rented rooms I've lived in other people's houses and I've realized that actually it's okay for a certain amount of time but it's also not conducive totally to my performance because I you're either on edge because you're in someone else's place, you can't properly relax, you, it's not your space, you can't, you know, if you get home from training and you're tired, you often just want to, you want to switch off. And so I've been very conscious that sometimes at financial detriment, like to get the right place to live, the right environment, I have to sacrifice or, or I've had to sort of spend a bit more to, because I know that that's important for me mentally to then be able to perform when I turn up to training or to be in a, in a good place, a good mental space. So um, one of the things that comes to mind in terms of a difference between your experience in the military, albeit for that formative year, is that although that's a very high performance environment, there's a lot of process and there's a lot of conformity in the way that the military goes about stuff. But we kind of live in a world now which is very much more individualistic. And when you're trying to put a team together of individuals who all want to be heard and don't necessarily have that kind of same background of conformity, and that must that must be a, a challenge when you're the one at the center that has to deliver and um, and, and make, the, make the decisions ultimately. Um, so how do you make sure that, you know, those people feel that their needs are being met as part of your team uh, as well as your own? Yeah, um, I mean, it is. You're right. You know, the the military is a fantastic organization, but it is very process driven. And everyone is kind of you are taught, developed with the same processes. So and you all have that same common goal. But it has to be because it's life and death. Like you have mm. to be all and, you know, Sport is not life and death. Are you saying that Iron Man isn't life <laughs> and death? It's not life and death. <laughs> it is. I always <laughs> said, you know, the pa- the pandemic was a great um, for a lot of people. But you know, if if all the athletes in the world disappeared, 
the world would still carry on. If all the mm. doctors in the world disappeared, we're, we're going to be True. in trouble. It could be a bit tougher. <laughs> so at times, but I appreciate at times it does feel life and death when you are in that in that moment doing the sport. And it is, and you know, it's it's all relative because it is your career and it is important to you at the time. Um, and like you said, so then bringing your team along and people, and obviously a coach or a strength and conditioning trainer. I mean, they are they are in that job because they love and they are passionate about helping other people. Um, and it's not necessarily, well, the best coaches, et cetera. It's not about them. It is about the athletes and they are very selfless in that. Ultimately on the day, on the start line, when it's you racing, it's ensuring that you execute to the very best of your ability and respect the work and the team the hard work that the team has put in to give your best to ensure that you are respecting that that import that that the drive that they've got that that they've sacrificed to for your common goal of making you the best athlete you can be if there are people listening to this thinking how do I apply this to my own team whether it's at work or 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 another sports team, what other kind of pitfalls or challenges or the things you might never, you'd never compromise on when you're thinking about you know, putting your team together and getting the best out of them? I think it's finding people with the same values as you. Um, you know, for me, kind of hardworking, integrity, honesty, those kind of values, but almost that sort of high performance mindset. They want the very best of themselves and then of, of you. Um, I think, you know, um, getting people with the right energy as well around you is super important. Um, or, and that's not to say it's not that they are, um, they're your cheerleaders and they're blowing smoke up your ass at every, every opportunity. Like you've got to have a balance. You've got to, have people that will tell you the the honest truth and be frank with you and have those commu- open communication pathways but also you've got people that do give you the right energy so that you are thriving and 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 buzzing off that and um you know I think in the corporate world it's making it, it's being open and honest with yourself that like you go I don't know everything where are my areas of weakness and who do I need that can fill that gap that I trust, respect, has similar values, is going to work in the same way as me, but will bring that element of expertise. Yeah. You, so you mentioned that uh, you're particularly passionate about women in sport and actually a lot of your team are women. So what, what is it particularly relating to triathlon perhaps that's really, that's, that's so important to you about that? Yeah. I mean that it's funny. I, I hadn't, I didn't set out with a goal of having a female team. It just sort of, ha- like I didn't, certainly in my early years, it, it wasn't my first coach, was, my first few coaches were were men. Um, it just so happened like over the last few years and, you know, then when you get that realisation, you go, oh, actually, if I, you know, female, female, female. And I find that quite, then quite powerful. But I love supporting women's sport elevating women um in industry across the different areas i think it's just really key to have visible role models um in those positions whether it is in coaching or 
as an athlete or in different areas. Um, you know, I'm very much, you know, you can't, you can't be what you can't see. Sport has given me so many opportunities I would never have dreamed of. And that's not just as a career. I just think it's got such a huge impact on our life mentally and physically. And I think for women particularly, it's hugely valuable. It's never been sort of, it's always been, yeah, not considered the thing to do. And so passionate about that and elevating the sport, telling the women, telling the stories of female athletes, of female coaches, of, of everything. Yeah. Well, really relate. I really related personally earlier to you, what you said about um, sport was never really viewed as a career. It was just a hobby to put on your CV and show that you had other interests. Um, And that has changed a little now, I think uh, in this country but probably still not so much for young girls. I've got two daughters and they're a little, they're a little young at the moment to be thinking about their careers. But what would you say to kind of a a teenager at the moment who's thinking, Oh, is sport, is professional sport a career for me? You don't, I think the thing with sport and at school is people think they should only do sport if they're going to be good. I think there is that perception that like you, you did sport, but you had to be good at it to do it. And then if you weren't good at it, you just stopped. And then you, and there's so many stories now of, you know, my peers or people that are my later in life, like going back to sport and it's okay to do it socially. Like it's just being, being active. Like you don't need, it's not about being, you don't have to be the best in the world, but obviously if as um, a younger a teenager or a younger girl like sport is passionate I would just be like just keep the fun do as much sport as you can on do all sports and learn the skills and the development of um you know yeah team sports and individual sports and yeah you can work hard but definitely still get like your your education as such and make sure you've got that as as fallback and I think there's benefits in that as well but just um try and have fun it's funny I was always told as I was, when I was younger that I had to concentrate I had to pick one sport and I should focus on that and just go in that direction and I never wanted to do that and yeah maybe detriment I maybe I would have gone down athletics if I'd have chosen one sport that's why you become a triathlete I couldn't choose one exactly exactly I'm rubbish at making decisions at times <laughs> which is also what my coach will say <laughs> Laura, what, what, one very last question for me, maybe a bit cheeky. You're, I mean, you're clearly at the peak of your power still as an athlete, and you're probably, you're probably not thinking about your career right now post being a professional, right? But just hearing you, you're so passionate about sport, you clearly think very broadly and systemically about the system that you operate in and so on, and you're, and you're active within the athlete community. <clears throat> Do you see yourself shaping these things on a broader level so that I, I told you it's a cheeky question you probably haven't really thought yeah. it through but you'd be such an asset it strikes me given your skills um, and your view of the world not not so off the mark so um I mean yeah look I'm I'm 42 now um I'm very aware that well I probably should have stereotypically retired years ago um I'm very aware that there's stigma, there's stereotypes attached to age of athletes. I did actually, I did again tangent. I did love watching Chris Thompson, Mm. is it, who ran the marathon yesterday? 
and he was the third third British ho- British guy home. And I think he was like a minute off his PB from 2014, and he's 42. And mm-hmm. I was like, yes, come on, Go, <laughs> like. <laughs> One of the massive things for me about last year, it wasn't just those two te- two top 10 results. It was doing it at 42 when most people would kind of, and, and you know, and the people I'm competing against now, like some of them are old enough to be their mother, which is just <laughs> like, it's just blows my mind. Um, but I'm also, I've never been someone who can just do sports. So I've always, I guess, tried to do, and I think that's probably coming from a, a corporate background and the military of like you balancing everything and I couldn't you know those early years of being a professional I struggled just to sit on the sofa and rest which effectively is my job I, I needed felt like I needed to do something else and again that that value add of being an athlete if we all disappeared it's it's pointless sort of you know there's no change um I've been lucky this last year to be part of a program run by the Women's Sports Trust which is a UK organization and they ran a program every year called Unlocked. And it was for, I think, 30 females across sport, different sports, different stages of their career to basically try, yeah, try and elevate the voice of women's sport. Um, I've also, I am on the athlete board. I was voted on to the athlete board of the Professional Triathletes Organization. And I think the combination of those two experiences has started to help me shape like I do would love to go into that sports strategy, sports leadership, whatever it's called. Oh, Laura, thank you very much for coming to speak to us. It's been inspirational, fascinating mm. at, at the same time. And um, what's next for you in terms of training and racing? Uh, yeah, so just in a big training block at the moment, I've got um, a race coming up in about oh, five weeks, I think it is. Uh, Ironman Brazil. Um, which is uh, a new race for me. So that's quite exciting. Um, Hopefully, depending on the race in Brazil, hopefully I'll be back in in Kona in in Hawaii in October for the World Championships. Um, And then again, a few few more different things to to come at the end of the year. Awesome. Well, that's so exciting. And best of luck for those races. And, uh, yeah, hopefully see you on the start line at Kona as well. Yeah, thank you so much. And, and well done, Ed, for your marathon yesterday. But <laughs> thank um, thanks. I hope the knee's okay. But yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I really, really enjoyed chatting to you both. Gary, I feel so privileged to have spent the last 35 minutes with you and Laura. I feel like there was such wisdom in what she said from the very beginning of... Um, you know, how she learned from that year in the army as an 18-year-old leading professional soldiers all the way through to how she's put her team together around her now. And that last bit as well about her passion for women in sport. I found that really inspiring, especially as a dad to two two girls growing up and exploring sport themselves. Totally. Uh, you use the word wisdom. I mean, goodness me, if we can't spend um, 35 minutes with someone like Laura don't feel I can call her Sid. She's too she's she's too awesome for me to call her Sid. If, if you know if you come away from those thirty five minutes without having picked up some absolute gems, then that that would be a real shame. Yeah, totally inspirational, amazing at what she does. Um, clearly, incredibly mindful um, about how she puts together a team and a culture, and very very mindful about broader issues in her sport. Um, and yeah, did you notice my? Um, kind of natural bias crept in and I assume that her coach 
was was a man. That's both a me showing my bias and a failure in research as well, because Judy Dibbins is quite quite a famous coach. Um, but yeah, all well. First of all, all credit to Laura. She didn't pick me up on that. That's very gracious of her. But what an amazing person, and and an absolute privilege to hear how she goes about sort of thinking about what she does, which she does to an incredible level. Really strong sense of team as well, right? So even from mm. the beginning, we talked about what it was like to lead as an eighteen-year-old with soldiers who, you know, this is their career. Um, she's had four weeks training and how 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 that was like and how she had to rely on their knowledge and the process and yeah, be the one who makes decisions but you know lead out of humility uh mm. and lead out of not knowing that she doesn't know everything all the way through to putting her own team together as a triathlete and what that looks like and managing um those people's expectations and their needs as part of her team um and the other people obviously that they work with mm. um so we thought this week that we would talk a little bit about that and what it looks like to put your own team around you, whether that's at work, um, whether uh, and not particularly to do with the sports context either. Everyone needs a team, um, probably even just on a personal level too. Yeah, I think we all have a team as well, whether we know it or not. There are sort of people around us in our work lives and our personal lives etc they they sort of constitute in some ways the people that we are you know on the journey with and they make up a team so it probably um strikes me and i know it's uh, we've talked about it ed being sort of conscious of who's on your team um what roles they're playing and the kind of impact they're having might be a really really helpful task and we don't want this to be actually i'm going to take a law a leaf from laura's book in that she is not a kind of all about me egocentric performer but she also knows the importance of having a team and having that and having them around her so we thought that there might be three categories right ed in terms of putting together this team do you want to run us through the 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 three groups of people that might make up your team yeah, so we have, we've got the three S's, you know, all good uh, categories start with the same letter, of course. Yeah. So um, we've got supporters, that's the first group, sharpeners and sharers. And I think as we put this together, we kind of consciously aware that, um, you know, there might be people that fulfill multiple roles for each of us as well. So they might sit into a variety of categories, but actually it'd be important to have someone in each of these roles and it may be worth considering that and where the gaps are for you and who you might need to go and find or speak to or think about to fill some of these gaps if they are not in place for you at the moment. Um, so under supporters, I think we've got three types of support um, that everyone needs. Uh, we have people who inspire you, uh, so day-to-day -day people, not people on social media, people that you actually know that um, you can go to for inspiration and to lift you up and to kind of, you know, give you that sort of view to ambition. We have people who can help you practically. So are there for you to do the school run if you're running late or, um, you know, in a sports context, that might be physical help. It might be a physio. It might be, you know, getting you back on the road, um, but those people that are part of your village that can step in and help you out in a practical way. Um, and then there's the cheerleaders. They're the people that are going to be there and cheer you along at the side of the marathon, cheer you along at the, uh, the race of life. Um, we always need a cheerleader. They might not be the people that are going to step in and practically pick up your kids, but 
uh, that's an important role to have all the same. Brilliant. Okay, and then I'm going to pick up on the second S, which is your sharpeners, which as it sounds are the people in your life that keep keep giving you a bit of edge, help you perform at your best. We've got three under here as well. First of all, I'm going to lead with the coaches. And given that this is the Run Alive podcast and we love asking deep questions, when we say coach, we're talking about exactly that, people who can create a nice, nice safe space and come in and ask you some nice, deep, evocative questions that help you move forward, become the next version of yourself. Second group under sharpeners would be mentors. So these are the people in your life who are happy to share their experience, maybe share some of their network. They've been there, they've done it, and they are kind of giving you that access to their advice and and, and experience. And then the third group, something like the wise people or the elders, these are the people that share wisdom with you. They give you those deep, practical truths that you can pick up and run with and make the most of in life. I've got a great example in my life of an elder or a mentor, and this podcast is a result of a conversation with with him, actually, um, just at the right level of uh, being able to speak into, to know me enough, um, and then speak into this idea of Run Alive being a podcast. That was his idea. So it's that, that kind of person that... Uh, speak wisdom and inspiration into your life the third category is sharers and those are going to be people who are on the journey with you Uh, people who know you best it might be your wife or your husband or your partner Um, people who notice when you are having a bad day Um, they're likely also to be the people uh, who can really challenge you um, or who you perhaps go to for challenge as well. And I think that's our second category under sharers, people who you can who can challenge you and you can be vulnerable with and ask for their input. So as we think about all these categories, Gary, how um, do we go about selecting these people? Yeah, how do you go about figuring out who should be on your team? Well, we'll, we'll take um, a cue from a couple of our guests, actually. Laura mentioned it. She, I think, pretty early on when she was talking about her team, talked about values, and we uh, we also heard it from Damien Hall back in the in the first episode. So, if I was to give the folks listening to this one piece of advice, it would be that it would be keep your eye out for those people who share the things that are important to you. And the reason why that's so important is because there's a few drivers of our behavior values and beliefs we often say drive our behavior and if you're with people who share your values then you're going to be seeing from them the kind of behaviors that work for you in in whatever it is that you're doing whatever journey that you're on um whatever task it is whatever quest you're undertaking so look out for people who are like-minded in in terms of of values that i think that would be the main thing i would say to folks in terms of picking the right people okay so we've got supporters sharpeners sharers so i think our go do for this week is have a look at that list we're going to put the list on the show notes on our website runalive.co.uk we'll also share them on social media on instagram and linkedin um and have a look at those who fills those gaps for you and if maybe there's no one there have a think about how you might find someone to do that Uh, who do you know um, that could grow into that role, maybe, or you could cultivate a relationship. I think relationship is really key um, at the center of that. Like good coaching doesn't work if you don't get on well with the 
with a person. Uh, that's just a, a simple example of that. So the go do is how do you fill? Have you got any gaps, and how do you fill those gaps? Yeah, actually, if you go online to the Run Alive website, you can find a little PDF worksheet that we've put together for you. Download it, uh, print it out if you can, actually. Work through it, uh, put a few names in the gaps, and send us a picture on social media. We'd love to see how you got on. We've been so encouraged to read some of your comments on social from the last two episodes. So if you're enjoying the podcast so far, then please subscribe. Leave us a rating and a review. It really helps to encourage us and helps us to grow the podcast. Join us next week when we're changing tack a bit and leaving the realms of elite sport behind as we talk to Matt Gilder, who's a trainee vicar in the Church of England, about the joy of amateurism in running and how to keep it in its right place.